Explore the history, relationships, expertise, and data that go into ensuring Stein growers get maximum yield potential. This is the Stein Seedcast. Here's your host, David Thompson. Hello, and welcome to the Stein Seedcast. I'm your host, David Thompson, National Marketing and Sales Director for Stein Seed Company. We've got another great episode lined up with special guests, expert insights, and discussion on everything you need to know about maximizing yield potential. On today's episode, our special guest is longtime Stein Independent Sales Representative, Doug Brower. Welcome to the show, Doug. Good afternoon. Thank you for letting me be a part of this presentation. Well, in March, Doug celebrated a significant milestone in his career with Stein, his 40th anniversary as a Stein sales rep. So congratulations on that achievement, Doug. Thank you very much. Uh, A lot of my friends and family said I wouldn't make it, but uh, so far I'm still doing okay. (laughs) That's great. You know, Doug is what we call an ISR for our company, and he represents the Stein brand in the uh, central part of Iowa and as you move northwest into Iowa, working with his dealer network to bring Stein corn and soybean genetics to our grower customers. And as you might have guessed from the intro, Doug's one of our longest tenured sales reps. He's a great brand ambassador for Stein, as has been instrumental in Stein's four-plus decades of growth here in, in Iowa. And uh, in this episode, we look forward to learning about Doug's history with the company, his passion for sales, and what keeps him going. So let's get started. Well, so Doug, uh, I've known you since I started Stein, which was a million years ago in 1998, but it's hard to believe you were there a long time before I got here. So tell us about, where'd you grow up? Actually, from a small town by the name of Early, Iowa, (laughs) 50535, and... uh, Born and raised on a family farm there, German family, hardworking. We had everything but sheep on the farm, and it taught us how to be self-sufficient, uh, how to each day get up and know that you had a lot to do before you went to bed that night, or never rest on your laurels. Yep, yep. And then, so after uh, grade school and high school, went off to college, Iowa State? Absolutely, went to Iowa State. My father encouraged me to continue on in education. He wanted to go to school. He wanted to go to school at Iowa State, but his family just could not afford to let him leave his farm. And we're talking a long time ago, but my grades were good and he wanted me to go to Iowa State. And uh, I did that and I always tease people. And I said, Iowa State was the best 15 years of my life. (laughs) However, I did make it through in four and it was very encouraging. Good. So uh, tell me about your early life out of college. I mean, did you, what, what did you do when you got out of school? Well, being young and not knowing what to do like most people are at this age, and even more so with all the things that can bombard you, took a job in the banking industry in 1979. I was in Carroll. was doing a good job. I think it was mutually decided upon that perhaps within a six-month period uh, that I would find a different job. So I really, (laughs) really wasn't fired, but it set a chip on my shoulder, and I think that was the beginning of what really made me strive to be so good and stay here at Stein Seed for 40 years. Yeah, so 40 years. So let's go back in time. So that'd be 1983. Actually, I was 1979. I started at the banking industry and I worked for a local farm chemical and sales distributorship and I worked there for a couple of years. Okay. And they wanted to transfer me to a little town by the name of Mapleton. At that time, I'd met my wife who was a teacher in northern Iowa and I was kind of sweet on her because she was going to be moving back to Carroll. So I didn't want to do that. So sure, that sure. being said, I redid my resume at Iowa State. And I got this call from a guy by the name of Paul Bissinger. 
and it was March and went down to Steinseed. I thought, this is really a small little farming operation. I don't know what I'm going to get myself into. Interviewed with Paul and I got to thinking, I'm, I'm destitute. I need to do something. I've got to go. I got to get this going. I kept calling Paul every week, and he kept pushing me back and pushing me back. And to this day, when I talk to Paul, he says, the only reason I hired you is because you were so persistent. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's a good thing to say. You have to be yeah. persistent. If you're going to promote a product, do something, you can't let up. You got to fight with what you want. And I think that's a good Good thing to have. Yep, having that passion and and, passion. and not letting it go. So little little uh, point of order for history. So Paul uh, Paul Bissinger yes. was uh, undoubtedly one of the instrumental figures in the formation of Stein as a brand. He was really the first salesperson that the company officially had. So yes. when you were talking to Paul initially, how big was the organization at that time? Because at one time Paul had everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> he just went wherever <laughs> he felt like. And that was an old joke, too. I said, Paul, someday I want to be able to look out my window and see my territory. Well, yeah, Paul had the world. Paul came in as a bag salesman, came in to visit with Harry. And Harry's intent was to only sell breeding stock to other companies. And yep. Paul came in as a bag salesman and asked Harry, why don't you start your own brand? He said, well, I never really thought about it. I don't know who I'd hire. And he said, would you do it to Paul? So <laughs> Paul became the first regional manager. And by the time I came tagging along in 1983, there were seven district sales managers. There was one, two office personnel and a little tin building with where we did our germination samples in Harry's office and the other side. And that was the very beginning. Yep. So Paul says to you, okay, you're on the team. So what's, uh, what do you recall of that first, uh, first few months? Well, I was scared because <laughs> I told you I needed a job. I wanted a job. I was persistent, 100% self-employed, 100% commission, used my own car, which was a beater. I got a territory to go out there and sell to people, and I was scared, but it made me stronger. Each day made me stronger and stronger, and as time went on, it became a part of the family. And you can see where it's taken me today. So you mentioned, you know, roughly seven or so salespeople in those first days when you came on. Can you talk a little bit about just the company overall? You know, when for you pull into Adel, you know, and, and, and what was the nature of the organization at that time in, in those early 80s? Well, like I said, very small, very you know, Harry had a company called Midwest Oil Seeds, which was a fairly successful company distributing soybean genetics and obviously Stein Seed Company being, you know, a new company that you disformed and hoping that it did well. And so I felt that I was on the ground floor and anything you could do to move forward and anybody that could sell my seed, I would go see them. And a lot of times I got thrown out the door, but a lot of times they would sell. Well, that, that led into my next question because, you know, being from Carroll, Iowa, you're not tremendously far away from the home farm at Adel. But in those earliest days, Stein was still brand new. I mean, people really didn't know the name. So I'm curious, how did you overcome that when you went on calls and, and talking about this, what was essentially a brand new seed brand? Very good question. At that time, we sold conventional soybeans. For the first 10 years, we only had conventional soybeans. There were no such things as the traits. But every time that I'd ask someone to try our seed, I was trying to take it from somebody else. So everything that I built and grew on, I had to have a reason why you should buy Stein seed. Not every person would, would be receptive to that, and some people would want to listen. Probably the hook that I used was, I'm not here to take away what you're currently selling, but to add what you do sell. 
And people seem to like that. I wasn't here to say, what you're selling is no good. You should still sell ours. I never use that approach ever. If you, you do not bash the competition, know your competition, but make sure that you have a product. Another thing that I would say is bring some of my line in, use theirs, and at the end of the year, see where you get the best service and the best product performance. And nine out of 10 times, guess who won? Yep. Yours truly. truly. Kind of trial, trial use, get in there, see, see what it's all about, and uh, compete on a, on a level playing field. Right. So in those days, I assume you had a mixture of folks who you were working with, might be farmer dealer, might be co-ops or egg retailers, a lot of different ways that seed was being sold. Is that fair to say? Yes, it has changed so much. At the time, I started in March of 40 years ago, March 23rd. Tough time to start in the yeah, seed Yeah, so I always <laughs> told people, either I'm... Awful late for this year or early for next. <laughs> so I went to the people and the farmers I knew from the local Carroll County area, and I sold 1,000 bags of beans. And Harry came, talked to Paul, and I was in the room there, and Harry, uh, Paul was so excited that, hey, he's got about 1,000 bags of beans sold. And Harry kind of looked at him and says, well, we really hired him to have people sell for him, <laughs> not for have to have him sell. And that's the way I built this business over the years. And we've taken a different approach a little bit because of having a footprint, smaller footprints, and the one-on-one programs and all the neat things you guys have put together for us in the sales program. Yep. So curious, Doug, is you for, for folks who maybe are uninitiated, I mean, we all know what sales involves, but the seed business is a bit of a unique business. For, so for those who are uninitiated, how, do you, how would, would you describe to people what it is you do for a living? Well, the key thing is, and I always tell people, is that I work for the branded side of the world's largest soybean breeding company in the world. And that's the only place I'd rather be. That's the only side of the fence that I'd want to be on. And people would say, well, how, how do you overcome the fact that other people sell your genetics? And I said, I don't worry about that. I worry about what I sell, what I do, my price, and how I can gain my you know, knowledge and stuff on your farm. Yep. So over the last you know, over this 40-year time frame, what are things that stick out to you that have changed tremendously over your career? Well, obviously, 40 years ago, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have computers. Uh, didn't have answering machines. We didn't have anything but small bags. You know, we had 50-pound bags. We had then moved up to pallets. And then once upon a time, mini bulks. Now it's bulk. And now it's semi-loads. So as we grew, we have to you know, go with the flow and accommodate what the customer's needs are. Yeah, I had a former longtime salesperson tell me one time, you know, one of the things that they were proudest of is they knew where every payphone was in their sales territory. <laughs> and that's something that's no longer a thing. That is very true. I remember I would either pull up to the side where it's 20 degrees below and blowing and you'd have to get that phone off the hook and it's freezing cold. You'd get up there and <laughs> You always had to have a calling card and do this. So I got smart. So wherever I had my last sales call, I'd say, may I use your phone? And then I'd call the next place to see if they're going to be there. But no, we didn't have an answer machine. It was a different world. You know, yeah. just shot from the hip and did the best you can. If you found them, you found them. Yep. <laughs> you know, one of the things that was interesting, so here in the last month we've had, we had, we had a celebration at Adel. Uh, celebrating Doug and his 40 years of tenure with the company. And as we reflected on some of that, the other thing that struck me was, you know, as we started sharing stories, how many people in our organization are decades into their tenure with Stein. A lot of people, 20 years, 30 years, you know, nobody, not many with 40, but a lot with 20 and 30. Based on your experience, why do you think that is? 
Well, obviously, it's a testament of Harry and his leadership and his work ethic and what he expects of people. They had a few names like Chuck Hansen. He was one of the first people that came on board the same time I did. And you know there's nobody else that has better work ethic than those two. Mm-hmm. So I had an unfair advantage in the fact that I lived so close to the farm and to there. And if you get out in the country and you're trying to sell and you get beat up and pounded so many times, I had a haven that I could go to. And I felt part of the team. I could see what they were doing. I saw the effort and the time and all the money that was being pumped into finding new, higher-yielding genetics. And it just made me want to go out that much more. And I feel sorry for those that don't have the opportunity to see that or maybe understand what Harry Stein really is. You know, that's a good point, Doug. I hadn't thought of that. You know, during my time with the company, I can remember back to my earliest days, and and you've always made a point because you are, you know, traveling in some of the same circle. It seemed like every other week or so, you know, you'd make a point to be there one, you know, one day or one afternoon. And, Absolutely. and it's interesting observation that maybe that helps you, you know, understand in those conversations you have with Chuck or with Harry or others helps that drive and that motivation. Absolutely. I know Harry always said, uh, if I tell someone or ask someone to do something on the farm team here, it gets done right away. And maybe sometimes an independent sales contractor would have a tendency to do something else. And uh, I took that for heart. So if he would ask something or do something, I would make sure I got it done. One of the most unique things about Harry is, unlike a other big companies, we don't have to have a meeting to have a meeting to have a meeting to see if we can change or move forward. We make that decision right away. So we we move fast. And part of that is the growth and all the stuff we've seen with Myron and yourself and all the, the things we've done to make this thing grow to what it is, because it would not have done it without your help. Yeah. I think internally we like to say you can have an answer to any question in five minutes. You may not like the answer, but at least... That's right. But there's a certain liberation in just knowing at least you'll have an answer, right? That's exactly right. We don't beat around the bush. We go for it. And if you don't like it, move on. That's one thing about it. I learned this from Chuck, probably most of anything. You might not always like what he says, but at the end of the day, he moves on and everything that is said is put behind you. Many times I felt that I perhaps sacrificed some of my family life for the company. But as I look back and visit with my family, they never felt that way. They saw what I was doing, the effort that I was putting in. I always had time for their sports activities. I would just work extra hours, more days, more weekends. But I think it's important, if you want to work for this company, it's got to be a lifestyle. It's not an eight-to-five job. It's uh, one time Harry said, but Chuck only works half-time. Oh, yeah, from 6 in the morning till 6 at night, <laughs> seven days a week. And once in a while, he comes in late on Sunday. That's Harry's attitude on, on different things. <laughs> yep, yep. And we've had Chuck on the podcast before, and, and I think that, that shines through in what he, what, his passion and, and what he loves to do. Right. You know, just based on your tenure and your experience here, obviously a lot of our sales team members aspire to, I think, you know, the career that you've had. And as we look at, and of course, the the field is ever-changing. We have new people coming in all the time. You know, what do you advise folks who are starting out in the ag sales business with Stein and who want to build a a career that's going to last, you know, many, many years? Well, I think it's definitely to know what is expected of you to do and what your goals are. And that's one thing. We flew by the seat of our pants so many times with the new personnel we have, the marketing leadership, 
You know, it's just unbelievable that the information hub, you know, the sales goals, uh, the number one thing that'll never change is recruiting because I'll guarantee you that hardly anybody that I sold seed to 40 years ago is even remotely involved. So never rest on your laurels. You got to yeah. you, you got to just keep pushing and fighting every day as if you get up like you have no future, no money or no friends. At the end of the day, make sure you get those three taken care of because you just can't sit back. You got to push, push, push. And until you lose that desire, you're going to be okay. Yep. Are there moments over the last several decades that stick out in your mind of your time with Stein and the things that you've worked on, things that particularly stand out that you think that was really, really an amazing time? You know, the last 10 years have been a good thing for for me. We actually brought on a young gentleman by the name of Nick Lobsher, and he works with me. You know, when I started 40 years ago, I was young, aggressive, and somewhat obnoxious. Today, I'm old, (laughs) aggressive, and somewhat obnoxious, but Nick brings to the table. This was a, a key turning point for me to know that I can bring Nick in. He knows the agronomy. He knows computers. I can't even do a spreadsheet, and I'm not afraid. I'm not very bright, but I work till the end of the day, so it's all taken care of or find somebody. It's who you surround yourself with, so that's very important to know who you can deal with. So that, that would be a highlight, but when you think about, you know, You've had an interesting seat to be able to see the progression of our brand over the last four decades. So when you think about where it was in the beginning versus where it is today, what are a couple things that maybe are the most surprising to you? That's a tough one. I'm not exactly sure. That's a multifold answer probably. But knowing that we always have the best products out there and, you know, we might not have the technology, but on some of the newest things, we we do have the technology and that allows us to, you know, be the leaders, you know. And I still think we're the leaders if you look at total products and the money and the effort and time that goes into our corn production and, you know, how we can move fast doing that. That's a huge thing. And there's a very bright future with our corn. There's no doubt about that. What's one thing that you would want as you're talking to farmers because you go to all the farm shows, you go to different events. What's one thing you'd want a farmer to understand about Stein Sea Company as an organization? Well, they have to know from the bottom of their knowledge that they are planting the best products available. And I've geared my dealership network to the people that does everything on that farmer's acre. He knows their fertility. He knows their chemicals they use. He knows their row widths. He knows everything. So he has to know the person that is, you know, providing the knowledge for the placement of their soybean that he's going to get the best return on his investment possible. Good. What do you think your legacy is? I thought about that for a long time. It's it's a hard one to say. I think people that know me know that Stein is my life. And when you give something that type of support, you know that I'm pretty excited about what I do. And like I say, sometimes my passion overshadows my intelligence, but we're not on the same wavelength. I'm pretty tough to beat. So I think people know me for who I am, and they take the good with the bad sometimes. But at the end of the day, they, they know that I've got their back, and they'll have my back as well. Well, and one of the neat things that I think I'll remember for a long time, Doug, is, again, at our celebration we had for you not that long ago, 
the people who came, you know, conditioners, uh, seat conditioners and dealers uh, who've been with this company since long before I was here. You know, a lot of history and a lot of great personalities. And uh, it was really neat to see, you know, the involvement of, of so many people who you've had a hand in helping with their success. And so I think that's more true than not. Very much so. It was very humbling for me to have all that support to say thanks. And a lot of people said, oh, are you retiring? I said, not yet, to my <laughs> knowledge, but the day's not over. <laughs> so a long time ago, a short, a short story I would share with, when I'd come in and see Harry in a room, he would look at me and say, did you sell anything today? And I said, no, but the day is not over. <laughs> so that evolved to just like uh, the guys on the basketball team, the guy would look at that guy, like he knows he's going to throw him the ball. And Harry would have that look on his face like that. And I'd say, no, but the day's not over. So to this day, I stopped out and uh, he said the same thing. I said, the day's not over. So I didn't even have to ask you the question. No, nope, he, know just, he just looks at me like that. <laughs> the other thing being said was about six months ago, I said, Harry, there's 24 hours in a day. I'm only working 16 of it. And I was wondering if I could do this full time. And he looked at me in his uncanny way. And he says, well, you've only been here 40 years. Let's not rush into it. <laughs> True story, so. <laughs> All right, Doug. So, uh, so like I said, we've been talking about your 40-year tenure with Stein. Takes us uh, 40 years back, goes to 1983. Imagine, if you will, that you could, uh, we hop into the time machine and you go back to 1983. What are you going to tell your, your younger self in 1983, knowing what you now know today? <sighs> I don't know if I could change anything because one of my big feelings for people is people are wired a certain way and you just, I don't care if it's you cry when you go to a funeral, you're obnoxious to other people. People are wired for that reason. You can't change that. So I was wired that way and I'm still wired that same way. What I would change probably was maybe try to know that if you keep working as hard as you can, the payoffs will be great because you're working for the best company in the world. That sounds like great advice. Well, Doug, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And thanks for everything you continue to do for Stein Brand, for your dealers and their customers. Congratulations again on another 40 great years. Thank you very much. Thank you for letting me be part of this to tell my story to the people out there that know me, hate me, want to know me, and know what a great company this is. And uh, I just can't wait for the next 40 years. Awesome. (laughs) Well, that's our time for today. I'd like to thank our guests and our listeners for joining us for another episode of the Stein Seedcast. We'll be back again soon with more expert interviews and insights about all things Stein. And to never miss an episode, subscribe to the Stein Seedcast wherever podcasts are found. Subscribe to the Stein Seedcast wherever podcasts are found. To learn more about Stein and its elite corn and soybean genetics, visit steinseed.com. Stein has yield.